Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome back to the secret history of the Estonia with me, Stephen Davis. This is the tragic story behind how 852 people died in a ferry disaster in 1994 and why mystery still surrounds it to this day. In later episodes, we're going to examine in detail all the theories, investigations, and cover-ups. But for now, we're going to stay with the experience of the passengers themselves. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off, with Paul, Sarah, Carl-Erik and Anders taking us through their fight for survival. The ferry has fallen completely on its side, submerged in the waves. The last lifeboats have been launched, and Carl Eric has closed his eyes to block out the shouting and panic all around him. Now it's uh, like a turning point, and uh, I might survive, I might die, but if I'm dying, I don't want to see all this bad. I want to have my death for myself. And uh, so I was only hearing and holding my eyes closed. And then uh, I heard the voices saying that, okay, now we are like getting into the water. And suddenly I felt that now we are falling and we fell into the water. And that's when I opened my eyes. And right in front of me, there was another raft and with the opening just in front of me. And uh, people were jumping into that. And I was from, from where we were I was maybe the third person or fourth person to jump into that hole. These rafts have two openings and and I was close to one of the openings and suddenly there was like a lady's face there and she was trying to get in and could not manage to get in. And uh, uh, I was taking one of her hands and someone else was taking the other hand and we were trying to get her in and that was difficult. And I could see at that point that there was a girl behind her who also maybe was holding in in her to to get in and so on. And that was probably the reason why we could not get her in so easily. But in the end, we got her in. And then when I looked for the girl, there was no girl there. And this uh, woman, suddenly she started to say that, oh, I cannot breathe, I cannot breathe. And it came out that she had like the rope ladder around her neck. And we had uh, taken her in with, with all of that. And then I took out her head through that letter and I was totally, you know, I was, that was my, my last energy like went to that. 
I had to swim out the door of the life raft and up to the surface. This is Paul. He jumped into one of the very last lifeboats, which was then immediately flipped upside down. And then suddenly it was like, obviously there was cold water shock effectively, and then just terror. Not from me, I was just sort of half shocked, but just the screaming and, and shouting and, and mayhem, which was all around, everywhere. It just, just seemed like the sea was full of people. It was um, definitely a scene from a horror movie, you know, it was just just horrible. I climbed up on top of the life raft and started pulling people up onto it. It being upside down, there was no easy access, so people needed help to get up. And um, there seemed to have been a consensus, roughly, that 16 people managed to get onto the life raft. And obviously this is for the wind is pushing us away from the ship which is probably a good thing at that point. And people were, there was hysteria and shouting, screaming. It was uh, quite uh, horrible. Were you dragged under the water? Yes, of course. What did that feel like? Yeah, it was awful. It was just, uh, I knew I was going to end up there sooner or later. And then I felt that I was stuck to something around my ankle. So I thought I was in something that was stuck on the ship that I was following the ship down. So something what seemed to be attached to your foot? Yeah. Do you know what it was? No idea. When you hit the water, did you manage to avoid taking in any seawater? Did you hold your breath? I hold my breath and I also hold my hands over my head to protect it. And then I, well, I got really angry actually because I felt it was so stupid way to die. And I was only 20 and I didn't want to die. So I really tried to get, you know, get up and get rid of what I had on my foot, but I couldn't. And then I started to think about my mom and my dad and my sister. <laughs> like, it's it's not okay that they, they can't go to my funeral either. But I couldn't do something. I was really stuck. So then I, I tried, the first thing I did also was to take off the life jacket because I had a pressure on my chest but it didn't help. And then I said to myself, because I started to take off my, my sweater too, and then I said to myself, it's not helping if you take it off or not. And then I started to think more, and then I think I was more relaxed in my body. Suddenly I was up at the surface again, and maybe it was because I was relaxed and I, I really felt that I couldn't do anything more. But it was really, really nice to be up there and could, that I could breathe again. And so whatever seemed to be attached to your foot was gone. Mm-hmm. And you're bobbing on the surface, mm-hmm. but without your life jacket. Yeah, no life jacket. But I was really, really happy. And then I saw someone else coming up beside me. And then I asked who it is, and I said, congratulations. <laughs> I was screaming. like I thought it was really, really good that someone else came up from the, from the sea. And he said, it's Kent, have you already forgot about me? So he popped up next to you? Yeah, yeah. Anders jumps into the sea as the ferry goes down. He's then catapulted into the air by the sheer force of water. And I was thrown into an empty lifeboat. And the first thing was, wow, I'm, I'm saved. 
but then come that boat into that flushing water and it was went upside down and I was in the water again. And in that chaos, after a while, I felt for a moment that this is, this is it. Now it's over. And I was wondering where I was because it was totally dark. Because this life raft was thrown upside down. And in some way I was thrown in in the opening under the water and came up in the airspace under the raft. So you had effectively your feet were on what was the roof of that life raft yes. and your head was underneath what had been the floor of the raft. Exactly. And you were trapped in a, what would have been an air pocket. Exactly, exactly. And how long were you there? I was uh, under that life raft uh, six hours approximately. Wow. Here's Paul, who by now is on top of an upturned life raft. The wind was so strong, we drifted pretty quickly away and we could see life rafts everywhere with lights, because ours didn't have lights, ours was upside down, but if, they'd, if they were, had been launched successfully, they had a little light on top so you could identify where they were and the sea was like full of these life rafts everywhere. And we drifted. Suddenly the wind actually dropped and um, the moon came out and then the ship went down. So the ship, it first of all sat on the bottom and then stood out the water because the sea, the ship's 150 metres long. The sea's 85 metres deep there. So you can see what happens with that. The stern where I'd come from went down first and then the ship basically stood out the water and then eventually she disappeared in what I've always described at that point as a red smoky haze. We're not sure what the red was, whether it was flares or whatever, we're not sure. But it was almost like a scene with the sudden calmness, the wind had dropped and the people around me. And I, It was almost like a sense of, one guy said it was almost like a film, a film set. It was like something out of the Titanic, you know, so very, it was almost beautiful. It was like all these little bobbing life rafts, the moon was out, the ship was stood out the water very bizarre again another moment strange moment and then hell broke loose do you want more crowd podcasts let me tell you about the crowd stories channel it's where you can find all of crowds documentaries in one place and for just one pound a week they're ad free Addictive documentaries like American Vigilante. I'm a monster hunter. It's what I do. And Murder in House 2. I know you know what happened. You want to keep it to yourself? You suit yourself. You're going down. You can binge our groundbreaking audio fiction series, Eliza, a robot story. I have 302 minutes, 34 seconds, and two milliseconds to tell this story. And immerse yourself in the stories of death of a rock star. Just search for Crowd Stories on Apple Podcasts. And hit the subscribe button. See you there. Welcome back to the secret history of the Estonia. The passengers have survived the sinking itself, but they now find themselves in another form of hell, on tiny life rafts being tossed around by a Baltic storm. 
we'll pick up the story with Paul. So the waves would continually crash over us and obviously we were upside down so there was no protection from the elements at all. And people on our life raft had come out in just their underpants, some of them, and were dying. People without any clothes were perishing in front of our eyes just through the sheer exposure and it became a pattern through the night. You knew when people were, were at, their, at their end, effectively. I was conscious the whole time. This is Carl Eric. He's inside a life raft. But I could not speak the whole time because it was so terribly cold. We, uh, fr- from the openings, I mean, uh, you can like close them, but they don't get totally closed. And the storm was so strong and the waves were like throwing us from one side to the other and there was water slipping in uh, through these holes. Uh, So half my body was like uh, in water where I was sitting and it was so cold I was shivering all the time. You Uh, must have thought when you were in the life raft that you'd made the life raft but you weren't going to survive that with the storm and the water coming in and, and and it was dark. I was constantly afraid that the raft would collapse uh, because the waves were so strong. They hit uh, the raft so strongly that uh, I was all the time afraid that it would just fall apart and we would find uh, ourselves in the sea. We realized that the raft is taking in more and more water. We tried to get rid of the water and uh, someone gave away his shoe and we tried to, you know, one puts water into the shoe, gives it to the neighbor and then the neighbor to the next neighbor and so on and then out of the... But uh, as, uh, at the moment when you try to throw out the water, then more water came in. Meanwhile, Sarah and her companion Kent both swim to an upturned life raft. It's the same one Paul is on. I was happy that I didn't round, but the next threat was to freeze to death or to get blown away with a wave. So I, I was really determined to, to do my best, but I knew I didn't know if, if that was enough or not. And Kent the same? Mm, yeah, Kent, we discussed and we. it was really good that we were two because he was there all the time and we could talk to each other and we really helped each other also with the, keeping the warm and we also talked and like after five hours you also need to rest sometimes. So we started to help each other that he could rest a few minutes and then I checked with him, are you there, are you okay? And then I could rest because it was really nice to let the mind go away somewhere else, but it was also very dangerous to do that. Because actually if you were by yourself and you rested, you could just Mm. relax and be washed away. Yes. Previously, up to the life, getting to the life raft, I've been in sort of action man mode, and then I just went into shock, effectively, which is mind numbing, and, and and it turns your mind into putty, effectively, you just can't think clearly. So there was this point in that I had to get rid of this shock because I couldn't do anything. There was nothing I could do. I was debilitated. You can imagine it's like trying to think through mud, uh, and also your shallow breathing. You're very, <laughs> very very shallow, it's useless. I started to, to slow my breathing rate down and really concentrate on, on slowing my heart rate and everything down so I could start to think clearly again. 
then suddenly one of the worst waves came over us and just ripped us and tore us out of the life raft and at which point I got separated and was just hanging by a small piece of rope which was off the side off the edge of the life raft that was the loneliest point ever just hanging there in the middle of a force 9-10 gale by one piece of rope and not attached and had just been torn out and felt the sheer power again and again of the waves which were coming over us and no one was there no one was there to help you literally nobody helped people who remained alive in the life raft with either in shock or just debilitated and eventually I managed to climb back I realised that that was the closest I'd come to to perishing and uh, I decided that I had to at that point get a life jacket and I found one floating it must have come from one of the other passengers and uh, put that on but I was so cold I couldn't use my hands my hands were completely numb at this stage so I couldn't use them so all I could do was just force this life jacket over my head and one arm through it and then I tied myself to the life raft because the last thing I needed was that to happen again. By this point, there's a rescue operation underway. Nearby ferries are trying to assist, and maritime rescue helicopters have been mobilised. They start to appear overhead at around 3am. The conditions are savage, extremely dangerous for the pilots and divers. I asked Sarah if she dared hope she'd get rescued. Well, I knew that they were going to come uh, sometime, but I, knew, I didn't know if I had enough time. But um, quite soon we could see there were other ferries coming into the area, and they were positioning themselves like uh, around us. And there was also having uh, lights going out from the ships, so we could see that they were there. It was really nice. And then we could also see that the helicopters were coming in over the area. We couldn't hear them due to the wind and the waves, but we could see the lights from them. So lights of ferries in, around you, lights of helicopters mm. overhead, and you felt, I've, I've lasted long enough, I've lasted the night, and I'm going to survive now? I hoped so, but uh, we were also worried because our life raft was upside down and it was dark. We could see that the other rafts were like orange with a light on the top. And the rescuers, of course, if you have no light or that maybe couldn't see you in the dark. Mm, mm, exactly. So I said to myself, I was asking someone what the time was, and then I was thinking that I think I had to wait until the dawn before they can save us. And tell us about dawn. The light came up. What did you see when you could, were able to see? Yeah, then it started to be like grey, of course. And then we could also see clearly in the raft that because even though we could see during the night, it was silhouettes because it was so dark. But then we could see in the, in the dawn that um, we were not so many of us left that was alive. And when they rescued us in the, in the morning, it was far, six of us was alive. So tell me again, how many were there at the beginning of the night? 16 or 17, as we counted. Did you notice the 
people dying or did they just slip away quietly or no we all we were all involved in what happened in in the raft because some people actually were taking off by the waves and some people there was also in the morning when people started to feel bad and we could see also that people couldn't keep uh, themselves over the surface because it was a lot of water inside the raft and when they started to to um, feel bad they they started to go under the surface of the water and up and down again and uh, there were people that I don't know if they drowned or freeze to death in the raft so it must have been to some extent the the exhaustion of of all those hours and the cold and the waves and some people just slipped away mm. Yes, they did. And we tried to support and tried to help and we tried to hold people, but it was never, we never succeeded. It's hard to imagine keeping the will to go on when you can see people dying around you. Nevertheless, Paul had named one of his fellow passengers Mr. Positive. Uh, Mr. Positive, yes. He pointed out every time he could see a another ferry or another ship or a helicopter it was coming for us so he spent the night say oh they you know here's another way they're coming for us now we're you know he just spent the night in a positive uh, mindset till i think uh, he must have emotionally run out of energy altogether just by continually having his hopes dashed i didn't join in in his positivity and i did not I wasn't negative. I just didn't want to expend that emotional energy on expecting to be saved imminently, which must have been debilitating for him as yet another ship went past or another helicopter didn't come and pick us up. Eventually he must have just uh, run out of, of, of the will to live, perhaps. I don't know. But he'll he'll always go down as uh, as Mr. Positive, and uh, and his voice will always be there. Towards dawn, there was probably just seven of us alive. Um, well, no, I'm saying eight actually. It was des- uh, desperately trying to keep a young boy out of the water, and he sadly uh, he sadly perished. So yeah, so. He would still mean alive at dawn, but uh, at which point I thought this was total delirium, whatever. Just you know, it was just desperate, and to to lose that a young lad like that was uh, was just heartbreaking. And I was I was pretty. I'd reckoned I hadn't got very long to live at that point. I just couldn't keep that young guy out of the water anymore. I had literally no strength left. I was spent. The helicopters have been flying overhead for hours, trying desperately to winch people out of the sea to safety. Finally, one hovers over Sarah and Paul's raft. But things go horribly wrong. There was a man in our raft that he was not uh, feeling well at the time. And when the frogman, what do you call it? Rescue. Rescue the, the diver. Rescue, rescue diver came. Yeah. 
uh, into our raft he he was really eager to get up and he not attacked him but he wanted to be the one first to get up of course because he was not feeling well the frogman was panicking that the guy was panicking all over him and then the helicopter crew must have been panicking as well because it it was terrible conditions for any kind of rescue and the diver he couldn't no handle him so me and Kent we tried to help him to get rid of him and to take this man away but it was not possible and what happened was that they went up together but the man was not safely secured with a, a harness and then we saw him plummet into the sea and disappear presumably then he you didn't see him after that he drowned no I saw his arm waving and nothing after that no, of course not. We were dragged away very quickly with the waves. To have that helicopter actually attempt to rescue and then disappear was devastating. The helicopters, they had been flying the whole night and none, no one had tried to rescue us. Carl Eurek's been watching as others have been winched out of the sea. He's still only in his boxer shorts, but he's found some plastic sheeting to wrap around his legs, which are underwater. His life raft has now drifted near one of the passenger ferries that have come to help. I could see that they had uh, sent down a smaller raft with men from the ferry in orange-colored uh, uh, costumes. And uh, they threw a rope to us. And we had to make both uh, rafts meet each other. And we managed to do that. And I could also see that everyone in our raft had survived. And uh, we all had to jump over to their raft, which we did. There were like smaller pieces of ropes or something like hanging from the roof of the raft. And I could hold in, in that. That was not comfortable. My fingers were aching of the cold because the, my hands and my body had been in cold water for hours. It was aching, but I felt that I had to stand up and, and hold in that. And they started to draw us upwards. And I was feeling like every move upwards, you know, and that was aching in my fingers. And suddenly I felt that uh, we are falling. So, so it broke. The rope or something broke and, and we all fell back into the water. And I thought that this is it, you know, this, now I'm dying because we are having the roof over our head. Uh, we, there is no way out. So when it plunged back down, you, you all went under the water? We all went under the water, and then, luckily, there was some air left in the raft. And somehow we were still attached to the ferry with a rope. And, I mean, the storm was still going on, so the, the waves came and threw us closer to the ferry and then farther away again and so on. And I was looking and seeing, okay, the rope is there, but we don't know for how long. This all just beggars belief. To have survived so many hours out in the storm and then to think you're being rescued, only to get dropped back into the sea. How could you keep believing that you would be saved? So Carl Eric's in this life raft that's fallen back into the waves. It's connected to the ferry by some kind of rope and they don't know if the rope will hold. The ferry then sends down a new raft, one with an inflatable slide. The idea is to get them all out of the raft that's hanging by a thread and into this new one. 
but keeping it steady in this storm is almost impossible. The waves were like taking us away and then we got a little bit closer and so on and, and people were jumping. In the end I was like the last person on the raft in the storm and I decided that now I have to jump. If I don't jump now it would probably be too late and I jumped but I did not get into the raft. I found myself between that uh, raft and the uh, uh, ferry in the water. And I saw that a wave is coming and I did not have strength anymore. I could not uh, get up to that raft myself. And I saw that the waves were coming and I would find myself between uh, the raft and the ferry when the wave comes and hits it. And the only thing I could do, I could hold my head a little bit uh, higher up so that my head would not uh, get uh, caught in between. And then after that uh, wave, then two of uh, the people from our raft, they, they saw me and they, they managed to get me up on that raft. So, Carl Ewicks now finally made it onto this evacuation raft that has a slide up the side of the ferry. But in all of the mayhem, there's a large metal object that's come loose, maybe part of the broken winch and it's swinging over their heads like some kind of wrecking ball. So they're having to duck to avoid it as it swoops back and forth. They started to lift up everyone, uh, one by one. They put the rope around the person and then they lifted the person through the slide upwards. And uh, at the same time, we had this metal thing flying over our heads all the time. I have to look if I stand up so that I don't get caught by that one. And, and, I, and I knew that if I would stand up and no one would help me, I would fall into the water because I did not have any strength at all. And the only thing I was thinking then is that I want to survive. I don't care whether I lose all my legs and hands or whatever, but I want to survive and uh, tell what has happened and that I found it so so terrible that you you are like let alone there in the night and you cannot say goodbye to your friends and your family and the close ones and and everything and and at least uh, i want to have that even if uh, i lose parts of my body or something like that so i decided that i have to keep myself uh, awake and uh, because i was feeling that i'm totally losing all my strength and then suddenly, quite early, they were looking at me and they were like telling me that it's my turn. And I was not sure whether I had understood right and I could not risk. So I had them to, they had to tell me several times that now it's my turn, come. And, and then I got there and they took me and they put the ropes around my body uh, and, and they drove me up uh, the slide. And then we, when you got up, you fell on the metal floor of the uh, on the deck of the ferry, and and then they somehow they uh, they took off my wet boxer shorts, uh, they put some clothes on me, and then they like uh, took me inside, and and I had a person who worked on the ferry, uh, and she was like sitting around me and warming me up with her body. I don't know about you, but that's just about the most terrifying rescue story I've ever heard. And we mustn't forget about Anders. 
He's been trapped under a lifeboat this whole time. After six hours, I yelled to the guys, they must not forget that I'm under there. I was very anxious that they don't forget me. And then the helicopter come. After a while, the life-saving diver, I felt someone knocking. So we went aside and took the knife and cut a big hole in the bottom. And he lifted it up and saw me in there and said, you can come now. I didn't realize first that I had to go to him. I thought he could, should come and get me. But I, I went over there to the hole and come up. And the first thing I was a big hug. There is a photo of that. Yeah, maybe you've seen that. So and then he put the life belt on and we went up. All the hours that you were in the sea and un- underneath something. How did you keep yourself going? What were you saying to yourself, if, if anything? What were you thinking? My thought was that someone had to come and help us. That was my main thought. And uh, I said to myself, I'm, I will go home. I'm going to get home. So that was my, my goal. Paul, Sarah and her survival partner, Kent, had just had the devastating experience of an aborted rescue. They were having to draw on every last scrap of resolve. I said to myself that I think I can do two more hours. I don't know if that was realistic or not, but that was my hope, that I could do two more hours. That would be it. Two more, you could last two more mm. hours, mm. not after that. No. And then a miracle happened. Suddenly the cloud cleared and we had the helicopter crew came and sent down the frogman. He wanted to check our status and how we were doing. And he said that I was going up as number two. So you got winched up to the helicopter? Yeah, the, the rescue diver, he told me also that he gave me instructions that I had to be very calm and I had to breathe calmly and I had to stick my arms into the next to the body. So I did exactly what he said. And then I had to make sure that Kent also came up into the helicopter. So I tried to call his name, but then suddenly I couldn't remember his name. So I knew it was something short that I didn't like so much. So I tried to call for Bob. <laughs> but uh, it was a bit confusion some, for some time. But then he, called, he screamed back that he was there. And they assured me that everyone that was alive in the raft should come up in the helicopter. I was ushering people off and I could still hang on. I remember going up last and it was just like arriving in paradise <laughs> inside this helicopter and suddenly realising that uh, he'd been saved. It's estimated that around 300 people made it to the outer decks during the sinking. But it's impossible to know exactly how many made it into lifeboats. Sarah, Kent, Paul, Anders and Karl Eric were five of only 138 people who were rescued. Their families would receive good news that morning. 852 others would not. But this is just the beginning of our story. Next time, on the secret history of the Estonia. In uh, Swedish and uh, Finnish newspapers, it was written that he was the only officer who stayed alive. So, several weeks after the ferry went down, 
your your father's name and his photograph yeah. uh, appearing in, in in newspapers as the only officer who survived. Yes, only one who survived. And to this day, you've never seen him. No, never heard of him. The Secret History of the Estonia is a Crowd Network original. It's presented by me, Stephen Davis, and produced by Samantha Syke. Mixing and sound design is by Rory Auskery. The music we use is from our partners, the EMG Production Music. To listen to the entire series ad-free and for exclusive bonus episodes, subscribe to the Crowd Stories channel on the Apple Podcasts app. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. If you're looking for something new, try .com, the hacking. It's all about Russian ransomware attacks, cyber criminals, and the ethical hackers trying to stop them. Just search for .com wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.